some people describe a, a vision as, as believing in a preferred future. I'm sure when Mike and Sue saw some of the, the spaces in Ukraine, they started to envision what, how, how, how these orphanages can serve kids even better. How, how, how more kids can get um, surgeries that wouldn't be able to afford it. Uh, when you walk into something and you have a vision, you start to see a preferred future. Maybe God's given you a vision for certain parts of your life. Maybe these days you're looking at some of your relationships and you have a preferred vision for those relationships. Maybe you're in a marriage and, and you're walking through a difficult time and, and, and something God is, just, is, is birthing in you this preferred future for your marriage. It could be for your career, your vocation. Sometimes it's a social or a justice issue. Uh, sometimes it's, it's a gospel-related mission like Mike and Sue. And for the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about, um, through one biblical story, what it means to create a future together, what it means to work towards a future together, and really to see a vision become a reality. And of course, you can read a whole bunch of secular books on vision, and there's some great practical things, but there's, some, there's something involved in God's kingdom that is unique only to God's kingdom, and that commodity is God himself right? That's, the, that's a huge difference. And our vision for the next season is, uh, is not something that's so new in terms of church history, but it's really a rooted location that we believe will expand our capacity for community and outreach and mission over the next 10 years. But as I described on, on Tuesday and Wednesday night, and I've said this before, that this vision is bigger than a location and bigger than the money that's needed and bigger than some of the design pieces to a wall or something. It's really fundamental to the core of who we are, that this space and our future, not just this space, that we as a community and this space would become a meeting point of hope for people where people can, can find hope and purpose as we fulfill our mission, our core mission underneath all that is connecting people to Jesus and each other. But here's the question that I have that I think is helpful for the vision we have, and I'm sure was helpful for Mike and Sue and the vision they had, or maybe the, a vision that the Lord is birthing in your heart in this season is this. How does a vision become reality? How does something go from being a vision to becoming real? whether it's the vision of our church in this season or something that God's been birthing in your own heart. And, and I want to look back to like uh, um, a person in the 5th century, sorry, yeah, 5th century BC. His name was Nehemiah. He lived around 450 BC. He was a Jewish man, but he lived in the Persian Empire. Persian Empire eventually dissolved and, and uh, Alexander the Great took over and then eventually the Roman Empire took over. But during this period of history, the Persian Empire was the deal. And Nehemiah, a Jewish man who worked for the king in the imperial court in a city called Susa, which was one of the most important capitals in the, in the Persian Empire at the time, this guy, Nehemiah, has a vision. And this vision is sparked by a few things, but this vision he realizes will need people and resources and a whole lot of resilience, and his story is such a beautiful example to us from a biblical perspective, in what it means to turn vision into reality. Now, I want to start just right off from, from the beginning of, of Nehemiah chapter 1, just a few verses, just to kind of get us into this story. As we, we allow this story to be our guide for the next few weeks, we're not going to specifically go through every chapter, every verse of Nehemiah. We're just going to use his story as a guide. And here's how it starts off. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, Israel was split in two at the time. Judah was one of those parts from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant 
that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Here is a time in history where about a hundred years prior to this, the Jewish people were sent into exile. They were sent to a place called Babylon. Their, their city, their town, their area where they lived was basically trashed and they were sent there. Part of this was also part of God's plan because they rebelled against the Lord. They walked away from the Lord. They detoured away from God's purposes for them and they were in exile. Now God still blessed them in exile, helped them live and grow and, and become a people there, but they weren't home. They weren't in Jerusalem. Those who survived now, a hundred years later, are back in Jerusalem and Nehemiah, who is Jewish, gets the news gets the news back from this band of people that were sent there uh, probably administratively from the Persian Empire, but they're also Jewish, and they come back and they tell Nehemiah the state of his people, the state of his home. And what are the words that are described? There's great trouble there. There's disgrace. The walls are broken. The gates have been burned down. And Nehemiah begins to weep, begins to cry. And it's right in this moment, a little clue of how vision starts. This vision begins from somewhere because vision never just comes out of nowhere. Vision, yes, sometimes we have great ideas, but a true burning, heart-burning vision never just comes out of nowhere. It's often birthed in something. And for Nehemiah, there's the clue here that his vision is birthed in turmoil. His people are in trouble. The city is not safe. The walls are broken. The gates are down. And if his people, if the Jews are going to have a chance at life again in Jerusalem, they need to fix this wall. They need to repair this wall. They need to get the gates up. And here's Nehemiah's vision of a preferred future. He sees what is at the moment, but he sees what could be and what should be this vision of a, prefer, of a preferred future. And here's the beauty of what happens in this moment when Nehemiah hears this story, hears the report, and begins to weep. It's that this vision is sparked. And this is true for you, and it's true for me, and it's true for our church, and it's true for really any godly vision in history that every vision starts with a spark. Mike and Sue went over to Ukraine. They saw something, they saw the need, and this vision was sparked. Nehemiah understands the plight of his people. This vision is sparked. Vision can be sparked for many things, opportunity, challenges, injustices, conviction, inner conviction in our heart, experiences. For us, our vision is this rooted location moving forward, this greater capacity to be on mission in our city and in our region. And a few things have sparked this for us. Our mission has sparked it. God has called us to connect people to a growing relationship with Christ and each other. And that word connect has been part of our DNA since day one for close to 15 years. We long to see people connect to Jesus and connect to community. And we know that spaces have a part of that. This larger vision we have of seeing lives transformed and relationships nurtured and communities impacted. And then this need for space that's not just a space but a rooted location in a region that becomes really a home base for how we reach people around us. We were talking in our vision briefings and how we're so excited to see other people use this space where some people will never, never, cross, never walk through the doors of a church, 
But if our space becomes a space where the community begins to use and nonprofits begin to use and we start to rub shoulders with those people, they start to rub shoulders with us, we trust that God's going to do something beautiful in that. And so there's this wonderful opportunity with this, this new future of what, how we can be present in our community in new and significant ways. But that's, that's part of our vision. And our vision has been sparked from some of these things. Every vision starts with a spark, but you know what I've noticed in some people's visions is that sometimes visions die after the spark. A vision can be sparked, but a vision can easily die after it's been sparked. And here's the thing that we'll see from Nehemiah. Not only does every vision needs a, need a spark, every vision needs a strategy. Every vision needs a step forward. And here's Nehemiah. He's in a place called Susa, one of the more prominent cities in the Persian Empire of the time. But he is only hearing about the wall from far away. He's only hearing about Jerusalem from far away. He's nowhere near it. And no one in Jerusalem has the resources to build these walls. And so he's left with how will, what can I do? What can we do? This vision has been sparked. But the next thing is how will I not let this vision die and move towards strategy. How can all this come together? And if we jump into the next chapter, in chapter 2, uh, verse 3 and onward, if we read it a little bit together, l- listen to what happens. He's, he's talking to the king right now because he wants to have an audience with his boss, the king. And, and here's the middle of the conversation, and he starts to describe this. He says, The city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And he was waiting for this next question. He, how many times he probably went to see the king? How many times he would have loved to share something significant with the king? But look what the king says. The king says to him, what is it you want? What do you want, Nehemiah? I mean, you've had conversations where you've shared your heart with people. People said, I'm sorry about that. I'll pray for you. <laughs> but when someone says, what would you like? What do you need? what do you want? You're like, oh, here's an opportunity. And here the king asks Nehemiah, what is it you want? Let's move, continue this story. Then I pray to the Lord, the God of heaven. Now, I was going to talk about this later, but I, I just saw it and it reminded me here. Have you ever had those whisper prayers in the middle of a conversation? You know you've got to tell something difficult to somebody and under your breath you're like, God, just give me wisdom. <laughs> they don't hear it, but you've prayed it. Or you're, really, you're, you're making a big ask for something. This is really important. And the Lord has been leading you. And just before you say, yeah, you're just like, Lord, please go before me in this. Or maybe there's a conflict. You're really praying for reconciliation. You know it's going to be a messy conversation. And just before you have this whisper prayer in your mind or through your breath, you're like, Lord, please go before me. This is this little whisper prayer from Jeremiah. Then I pray to the God of heaven. That's it. That's all we know. Then I pray to the God of heaven and I answered the king. So in that quick moment, he depends on God. He answers the king. And here it is. Here's strategy time. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I I can rebuild it. Here's here's Nehemiah's first strategy. I got to get to Jerusalem. How am I going to get to the Jerusalem? I can't have time off. Is the king going to give me time off? Maybe the king will send me on, a, on, a, on an administrative mission for the kingdom. So here he is. Let him, the king, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried. So he's like, I need time off. I need to get there. This, later, later on, it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. The king says, yes, I'll send you. He's like, sweet, let me open my agenda. When will you send me? 
He's ready. He's ready. And then, then the story continues. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, that's the rivers and the passageways through waters, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. Here's his second dilemma. He's like, okay, I need to go there. I need time off. I need the king to send me. How am I going to get there? Nobody knows Nehemiah at the ports. Nobody knows Nehemiah around, you know, the riverbeds. King, will you give me like a passport? Basically, will you give me letters so that when I get to these ports, no one's going to arrest me? And that's what he asks for next. And then, and may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber. That's old language for wood, if we forget what what timber is. Uh, Timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Here's his next strategy. like, I need resources. I need materials. We need wood. We're going to rebuild these gates. We need wood. And so he's like, will you give me a letter for Asaph so I can get some wood for my project, for this vision, and then we'll continue? Oh, I think that's it. Yes, that's it. Um, I love that part. Here, is, here he is. Hey, king, can I have some time off? Will you send me? Hey, can I have a letter so I can get through the ports? Hey, can I have a letter to ask this person for materials? And in this moment, we see, as the story unfolds, Nehemiah received favor from God when he asked those questions. Favor for his time off. Favor for resources. Favor for safe passage. And it's so beautiful because as he whispers this prayer before he asks the king, and maybe he was waiting for that opportunity for, for weeks or who knows how long, and then he asks, and this vision that was just a spark turned into a strategy because God gave him opportunity and favor right in that moment. This vision that was just a spark turns into a strategy because God gives him opportunity and favor. I was thinking about our journey in the last 18 months, even coming up to this moment where we're right in kind of the middle of, of um, this project and this, you know, just desiring to see us being rooted in a location. And uh, December 2016, the, uh, a counselor from DDO, we had planned to meet up and he came to our office on Sources and uh, we sat there and we chatted for an hour or so. And I've known him. His name is Alex. Really nice guy. He's the counselor on the other side of sources. And he asked me at times, what are you guys up to? What are you doing? What do you need? And it was, it was kind of, I guess it was all, we were in a season where we said, you know what? We believe we're going to be needing some different kind of space. And it's been years now. And, and, and we've had some dead ends and some, wall, some, some, some walls stopping us. And, um, hey, we've been in DDO for so long. We love this neighborhood. We love this community. But we've always hit a brick wall. And so as a counselor, he, he listened. And he said, you know what? He said, here's the deal. Why don't you look for something, anything on maybe along Brunswick Boulevard. And if something comes up that suits your purposes, make, make the application. But let me know, and I will bring it to our counselors. I will do this for you and for Westside. So I thought, that's awesome. Here's this counselor who actually hears what we're needing and says, hey, take this step. 
Interestingly enough, we start searching for this uh, space and we find one space potentially near Brunswick on uh, in DDO that would be the size we need and roughly the area. But it, it, it wasn't the perfect fit for us. It, it, was, it needed a lot of work. The parking wasn't great and uh, it, it didn't have some of the features we needed. And so we walked across the street to this other space, which was 115 Brunswick, and we looked at it. We said, hey, this is really neat. It has two sets of bathrooms. It's on a corner, but it wasn't DDO. Like, what's this counselor going to say? He can't do anything for us. It's not in DDO. Why does the borough change, like, from one street to the next, you know? Like, why can't it be on the same corner? But we're just like, whatever. You know what? This space seems pretty interesting. Let's, let's move forward with it. We knew nobody, really, in Point Claire. We had actually issues with them in the past, not because of us, but just some building issues for something we wanted to rent a couple of years back. And so here, here I, I call up this, this counselor from Point Claire. I never talked to him before. I only knew him because I researched him on the web. And uh, I emailed him and then called him. And we met for coffee at Hymas and uh, St. John's at a Tim Hortons there. So first time I meet him. And he's like, what do you need? Because he's the counselor for the district over here. So I said, well, this is what we're doing. This is what we're thinking. This is what we're looking at. But we've been stopped several times. What do you think? And uh, he listened really well. And he said, you know what? We're trying to reimagine. It's for the f- this opportunity has opened up. That corner, we don't really know what to do with. We're open to something different. So why don't you bring it to the council? And I'll, I'll speak to them for you. So we do. And July 2017, there's a unanimous vote among the councillors to give permission to a church to use an industrial spot at the corner of Brunswick and Tecumseh. And you know this councillor that I talked to? He retired in December. Like, he's no longer a councillor. Like, I met him last year, and now he's retired. And he was this pathway for us to find favor with the city and come to this. And I thought, what a beautiful moment of stepping into something. Andy Stanley has this phrase that he says often, what God originates, he will orchestrate. What God originates, he will orchestrate. I'm sure Nehemiah was feeling that in this big project. And as I was talking to some of these people and look back and I realized God was orchestrating something that he already was originating in us and for us. It's so beautiful. But here, here's the shift I want to make in this moment. Vision can start with a spark, and it definitely needs to move to strategy. But there's something we learn from Nehemiah's story and we need in our own lives. It's this, is a godly vision needs more than just a spark and needs more than just strategy. A godly vision needs prayer. A godly vision needs prayer. And, and I, want to just, I want us to pay attention and just make this the focal point for today, what Nehemiah does in, in the earlier chapter, in chapter 1, when he hears and he begins to weep. Remember, he hears, he hears the state of, of Jerusalem and the walls, and it says that he weeps. And the next phrase, the next phrase is this. It says, I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. It says, I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. When this vision was sparked and before it moved to strategy, there was something in the middle that was so important in Nehemiah's next step. And it was this, that he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. This gap between spark and strategy is prayer. And it seems like Nehemiah turns to God before he turns to anything else. He turns to God. Because if this thing is going to be a God thing, it must be birthed in prayer. But here's the thing, as as we're going to read the prayer in a moment, 
We're tempted. I know I am. I'm tempted as, as soon as there's an idea in my brain, I start asking for stuff. Lord, would you do this? Would you give me this? Would you bless me in this way? And I'm sure you do too. If you're thinking about a relationship or something at home or something at work or whatever, you're like, God, give me this. God, bless me this way. God, would you provide this? God, would you make this happen? You know, sometimes we're just, we, we, we just want to walk into a situation and like we're walking into a room at work and we know it's going to be horrible. We're just like, God, will you just fix everything? Like, that's the prayers, right, that we pray. We, we want God to just do stuff right away. Nehemiah prays in a different way, in a different posture, because here's the deal. When we engage a vision that is beyond our capacity, like Nehemiah was, when we engage a vision beyond our capacity, prayer, and this is so vital, prayer becomes the soil that doesn't only lead us to success, but actually changes us in the process. This is so important. Prayer becomes the soil that does not only lead us to a preferred future, a vision, but begins to change us, change us in the process, change who we are. But it will take a certain kind of prayer. It's not only a give me prayer, bless me prayer, give me success prayer, God, I want this prayer, God, I want that prayer. It's not just that kind of prayer. I want to read through Nehemiah's prayer in our focus. So look at verse 5. He starts, and he goes into this deep, wonderful, beautiful prayer. Lord, and for him, when he says Lord, he's saying the personal name of God, Yahweh. It's a personal, um, it's a personal address to God. Lord, the God of heaven and the great and awesome God. And just stop there. Like he, he starts this prayer, and he doesn't begin with what? I mean, he's prayed before. He knows the Jewish prayers. He's done the Jewish prayers. He's gone to God before. He, but, and so he could easily skip over the formalities, right? But he, he could easily go to what? He could easily go to give me. But he says, Lord, the God of heaven, great and awesome God, and he begins with who, not with what. He begins with who God is, not with what can God do for me. And I thought of this line, and I want us to just think about this, reflect on it, maybe write it down, um, get it off our website when we post it later. We don't just pray for something. We pray to someone. It's so important that when we engage prayer and when we grow in our relationship with God, we don't just pray for something or for some things. We pray to someone who is the God of heaven, who is the great and awesome God and here, as, as Nehemiah prays this, he begins to help us understand what he believes and knows about God's character. Because he continues the prayer, and he says this, if you just go to the next slide, he says, oh yeah, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, and what does he say? Who keeps his covenant of love. So he knows that God is a faithful God. He's a God who keeps his covenant, his promises, his commitment. He's faithful in his love towards his people. And this is God's character. When we pray, when we engage prayer in the next several weeks, in the next several months, but even in general, we must start with God's character. But he moves forward in verse 5 as he, he continues that. Who keeps his covenant of love? And then this next phrase, with those who love him. He keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. Now it's us. And he says, God keeps covenant with those who love him. Here's, here's one of the the word features in this and kind of the original language, the word love here could be translated dedicated. 
he, he's, he's committed to those who are dedicated to him or dedicated themselves to him. One commentator, John Golden Day, he says that you can, you can unpack this phrase as calling it like self-giving loyalty. To dedicate themselves to God, it's their self-giving loyalty. And Nehemiah highlights this desired consecration before God. God keeps his covenant, but with who? With those who are dedicated to him, with those who are consecrated to him, those who are self-giving love and loyalty and dedication. But here's the thing. Even though he's consecrating himself in this prayer, Nehemiah knows that Israel always hasn't been so faithful and has often gone on detours. And so verse 6 and 7, Nehemiah moves from character to consecration to this moment of confession. And we can read it here together. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. This is in this prayer. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. So right here in this moment, here's Nehemiah. He's recognizing his sin, Israel's sins, their past sins. They're bent towards a detour away from God. And this is part of the reason they're in a mess. This is part of the reason they went, they were exiled and they left Jerusalem. Part of the reason Jerusalem was abandoned for so many years. It was because partly because of their rebellion towards God. And Nehemiah doesn't just shove that under the rug. He doesn't just like, I know that was 100 years ago, God, but now we need a wall. Right? He doesn't just say like, whatever. You know, we're good, right? Everything's cool. No, he's in his prayer, he takes this posture of repentance and confession and comes before God with a repentant heart because he knows that God uses humble and repentant people. And he prays to a faithful God on behalf of an often unfaithful people. And that might seem odd, but it's so freeing because this is what it means, that when we go to God in prayer, he doesn't just accept prayers from perfect people. He doesn't just accept welcome prayers from those who have, have everything together or because they deserve it. We haven't earned God's ear or attention God gives us his ear graciously. And Nehemiah knows that. And he comes and he confesses, but yet he still goes confidently to God. And then he moves to this part of the prayer that is so powerful. And it's this prayer that has a cause. In verse 6 and verse 11, look what he says twice. He says, let your ear, God, be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. To hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He says it again. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And so here's now Nehemiah. He's now coming to God. He's appealing to God. He's like, okay, God, please listen. As I tell you in this moment what is so necessary to move forward in this vision. And look what he says in the next verse as he ends the prayer. He doesn't shy back. He doesn't hold anything back. He says this, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Right? He's going to go see the king. He's going to move towards strategy. But what does he say? Lord, give your servant success. Give me success today by granting him, he's speaking in the third person, by granting me favor in the presence of this man. What's he saying? He comes right down to the nuts and bolts, to the cause. Lord, please help us find a way to build this wall. We need your intervention. This is a noble and godly cause. 
And so he says, give us what we need to get this done. Give us the success I need when I stand before the king. Give me the courage if the opportunity comes. And it did because the king said, hey, Nehemiah, what do you want? Give me the opportunity and give me the courage to ask and give me the favor when I ask for resources and strategy. And this is what hit me as I was reading this story and reading this prayer. Sometimes we fall short or we stop, not fall short, but stop short of asking God exactly what we need when he births a vision in us. Exactly what we need to accomplish the vision he's birthed in our hearts. This is so important. Why sometimes, and I, I'm at fault here. I say, I have done this so often that I have neglected to say, Lord, this is exactly what we need. Would you move in this moment? And it's not that he wasn't asking God to do it for them, but he was asking God for opportunity and favor in that moment. Did you ever hear the organization International Justice Mission? They are just a, a global organization, incredible, and they work towards um, ending things like tr- uh, human trafficking. Uh, they work in parts of the world where people have been unjustly uh, imprisoned or arrested by corrupt police. And International Justice Mission is just a huge, incredible organization that is really fighting injustice, fighting trafficking, fighting corrupt uh, institutions. And they do it in enormous ways. I mean, they have like lawyers and litigators and the Justice Department and investigators. But they're a Christian organization. And I've heard from friends, I've heard from friends that have gone to their annual prayer gathering. And they've told me that their annual prayer gathering is the best prayer meeting that they've ever gone to. That every day at 8 in the morning and 11 in the morning, staff takes a 30-minute break. All the staff of this organization take a 30-minute break to pray. And Gary Hogan, the leader of the organization, says, yes, we have some of the best investigators in the world, some of the best lawyers working for us, some of the best people in the Justice Department. We have come to know so many people in other parts of the world that can be instruments um, of justice But we recognize that our work is so important that if we don't pray, we will not see God work. And they pray for these people, for for this, this, you know, each instance of people who need to be rescued from from an unlawful arrest, who need to be taken out of prison because they've been put in there unlawfully, who've been trafficked by an organization or by someone. And I thought, you know, you'd think like the best prayer meeting in the world would be like some large worship conference. But it's these people who know that they have a vision from the Lord and every year they gather for a day and they pray and they pray because they know God has called them to do what they're called to do. They get specific and they get God's ear. They say, Lord, would you intervene in this moment? And I'm on their email list and often I get prayer reports, but I get praise reports. They're like, praise God because this cop who was corrupt in this country and unlawfully imprisoned X amount of people has been brought to justice because they've been praying for it. And they're working for it as well. So as we come to a close this morning, I want us to, to just take this, this framework. We're going to enter a season of prayer as a church in a significant way. We've been trying to grow this culture of prayer. I don't just throw the, those words on the screen. As you develop your framework of prayer, I want you to take Nehemiah's uh, outline here. 
to focus on God's character, to come in consecration dedicated to the Lord, to come in a confessional way, in a, way, in a repentant way before him, and not leave out the cause. What are you, what am I praying for? And as we move forward today, like we have this vision before us, but we have, this, we have God who is leading us and guiding us. We want to create the future together. It's more than a building. It's more than money. It's more than resources. And yet this season specifically is calling us to get this thing in order, and we're bringing it before the Lord. But we want to bring it before the Lord in this way. Lord, you're the God of heaven. You're the great and awesome God. Lord, we're dedicated to you. We want to consecrate ourselves to you. Lord, we come repentantly and humbly because we know that there has been times that we've detoured away from your mission and your vision. And then, Lord... Would you act in this moment for us? Would you give us success and favor as we move forward with this new location, as we move forward to reaching more and more people in our neighborhood? In the next few weeks, we're going to unpack two more lessons from Nehemiah that are super exciting lessons. But today, I just want to call us to prayer. Just a simple call to prayer. And it's a special season, and I want us to get specific and just a simple call to prayer. And here's what we're going to do. Um, a team have put together like a 40, 40 days of prayer package that's going to come digitally to your inbox. That kind of sounds funny. Eh? It's going to come digitally to your inbox. But we've set this up, and those of you who are signed up to our email uh, will get, starting Tuesday, just a daily little simple brief reminder to pray. A short theme, a short connection to Scripture, and a, and a call to prayer. So starting Tuesday, if you're in our email list and you get our weekly email, you will get this email starting Tuesday. If you don't get it and you want it, please sign up today. Go to our website. On our website, you can sign up to our newsletter. You can leave your name at the back. You can email us. We'll get you on before Tuesday. And so we start this together. So starting Tuesday, we're jumping into 40 days of prayer through email so we can just move forward together. And then the second thing that's taking place is our Abide Night. We've been doing this for a few months now, starting back in the end of the fall, but then really catalyzing around this theme. And May 8th is our next prayer evening. It's a Tuesday evening, the second Tuesday of every month. And I'd say we, we want to come before the Lord and just acknowledge his character, come consecrated, confess where we need to, and then bring the cause before him and seek him together. Does that sound good? Let's stand and pray together. Bless you, God. It's the words of the song we sang earlier. Just come to my mind, O oh God, you are my God. And I will ever praise you. O oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Step by step, you will lead me. And I will learn to walk in your ways. Father, we're so grateful. We're, Lord, maybe even now as we're talking, there is some visions that you've already birthed in some people's hearts that they've been wrestling with or thinking about or excited about. And it's something maybe you've birthed in them. And it's, it's unrelated to what we're even talking about today to our vision but it's, it's sparked this reminder that you've called them to see a preferred future in their relationships or their marriage or their finances or their career, vocation, ministry, their neighborhood. God, you are a God that sparks vision in us. And Lord, 
We want to be people who are ready and receptive when you spark those visions in us. And God, it's so easy to move to strategy. It's so easy to move to a next step. But as we talked about today, God, we want to birth the visions you've given us personally, but also, God, our vision as a church community as we move forward towards a new location and a new season and new opportunities. God, we want to birth this vision in prayer. And God, we, Lord, we just, we completely come before you in this moment and recognize you, O God of heaven, great and awesome God, you who keep his covenants with those he loves. God, we just adore your character and lift up your character and who you are in this moment. And we today say to you, God, we, we want to dedicate ourselves to you. We want to give our love and dedication and loyalty to you because you are the God who keeps his covenant with us. You are faithful all the time. And we long to give ourselves fully to you. And God, whatever ways that we have detoured away from your kingdom principles, from the life you call us to, even as a church, God, where there are ways, Lord, where we have not listened and responded, where we have not trusted you, God, we confess. Where there's still unreconciliation in some of our relationships or where there is dishonesty in some of our actions, God, we come before you. We confess, Lord. And then, God, we know that you are before us, and we ask, as Nehemiah did, would you give us success and favor where needed? God, obviously, in this next few months regarding this location and the details and the construction and the renovations and the finances needed and the resources needed, but we know it's even bigger than that. And we know that as you take care of this part, this is just a tool, going to be a tool in your hands, God, for your glory, for this city, for this region, God, for your purposes and mission. And we pray for this cause. We pray for this cause because you have called us into it. Your mission has a church, and we are your church locally. So give us what is needed. Move ahead before us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.